today is called the Jesus the Perfect Sacrifice, and it's part of a, it's the second one in a trilogy which began last month with um, uh, with Jesus the Great High Priest, and all of the the three of them come out of Hebrews, the, the letter to the Hebrews. Um, and they're all about Jesus because the letter to the Hebrews is all about Jesus, the all-sufficient God, the all-sufficient Savior. Is it possible to have more lights on here? Thank you. Um, and actually, in some ways, when I was writing this one, I was thinking, well, maybe this one should have come first because if Jesus had not been the sacrifice, thank you, for our sin, then we would, he would never have been our great high priest. So, um, but actually... Um, the writer to the Hebrews doesn't start with that, which is quite surprising. Instead, uh, he starts with who Jesus is and, um, and what he has done. Um, when you think about it, a lot of the time our worship and our praise is connected with what we know Jesus has done for us. He has been the perfect sacrifice. He, he does never leave us or forsake us. He does promise good things. He does strengthen us and enable us and, and fill us with joy. And often our worship revolves around, or our praise revolves around what he has done and what I have felt him doing for me. And that's good and worthwhile and all of, and all of that. But actually the Bible focuses on a completely different thing. And the letter to the Hebrews is a brilliant example of it in that the Bible focuses on God. Who is God? And he calls us to, to learn about him and praise him for who he is, even if he never does anything for us. That is so the opposite of how we think as humans because we are so responsive to what we, someone is doing for us. Rosie said about it, we offend people, they walk away. That hurts us. We respond all the time and we've been made responsive. But God's word tells us who he is and who Jesus is. And somehow he wants us to see that that is enough. If God never does a single thing for you, it is enough that you know that he is. And as you start to read the word and as you start to study it and as you start to think about God in those terms and try to stop yourself thinking about what he is doing and has done for you individually, he becomes enormous in your thinking and the more enormous he becomes, the more you find it doesn't really matter how I feel or what he does. It matters only that I know him to be who he is. Because somehow, if I see Jesus high and lifted up, I am lifted up with him. Somehow, if I see him as king of kings and lord of lords, it doesn't make a lot of difference how my day is going. Do you see what I mean? So it's that idea that I think the writer to the Hebrews starts with. And of course, God wrote, the, God wrote through this writer, whoever he was. And so I think that what God is calling us to do as we look at this uh, letter and as we think about who he is, what he's saying is, I want to lift you up to a different place. I want to take you out of your circumstances and out of the difficulties of your life and all of the pain and all of the sorrow that is happening because we live on a planet that is in trouble. And I want to lift you up to be with me, to see things from my perspective, 
and to see who I am, who it is that you have put your faith in, your trust in. And so um, the writer to the Hebrews, I think, starts with consider Jesus. If there's one phrase that sums up the whole book, it's that. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Meditate on who he is. Stand in awe of his greatness. And you will find that your life is changed because of it. So if you go to Hebrews 1, we're going to start there. We, we actually went through some of these verses last time. We're going to go through them again. They are perhaps the, I don't know, maybe along with Colossians chapter 1, they are the uh, most uh, wonderful verses about Jesus in the entire Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the, in the prophets in, portion, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he that's Christ, is the radiance of his, God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Think about Jesus. Think about who he is. Think about what he came to do. Think about where he is now. Think about him until you can't see anything else Think about Jesus and how much he is for you. Um, I said last month that we were looking at this letter because the believers that the writer to the Hebrews was writing to are very similar to us. They lived in a day that is similar to ours. Um, they were not first-generation Christians. They had heard the gospel from people who had been with Jesus, but, but they hadn't been with Jesus that's the same for you and I. We heard the gospel from people who heard the gospel, from people who heard the gospel. And if you go right back, heard the gospel from those who had been with Jesus. But we've never seen Jesus face to face. Not physically. We've never spoken to him. We've never heard his voice in, in real terms like you might hear my voice. And so these, these believers are much the same as us, and they are living in a world that is similar to ours. They are facing persecution because of their faith. They are uh, on the outside of their families. They've often lost jobs. They've lost their homes. They've lost their friends. And most of us here, at some stage, have been in that situation you might be married to someone who is not a believer. You might have a whole family of unbelievers. You might work in a place where no one believes in Jesus. You might have lost out on some promotion because you have believed in Jesus. And that is exactly what's happening to these Hebrews, to these believers that the writer is uh, sending this letter to. And they, because of the persecution that's coming in all sorts of different ways, they are tempted to go back to how they were before. And that is what's happening in the church in our day. The church is tempted to go back into seclusion, almost, to lower their heads below the parapet so that no one can take a shot at them. People are tempted to fit in and to mold and to become camouflaged again because the persecution is ramping up. 
and because it's becoming more and more difficult to be seen as a Christian. That's what's happening in our day. The temptation to move backwards is strong. And we have huge organizations, church organizations, denominations, whatever you want to call them, you know, that are actually slipping back into a way that doesn't present uh, an offense, that doesn't set them apart so obviously. And, and I think that mostly that's done with very human motives. I don't necessarily think that they're all terrible believers and that they're all apostate already or that they're all didn't ever believe in the first place, you know. I think it's very easy to look on and to criticize and to uh, think why are they saying these things and why are they doing these things when we are not really quite in their place. We're not understanding the pressures that they're under. But one thing I do know is that God's antidote for all of it is consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Don't stop looking at him. Don't stop thinking of him. Don't stop meditating on him. Don't stop reading his word. Because when you do that, you will be changed. You will be strengthened. You will be empowered. You will be lifted up to be with him. And then it won't be a question of, shall I fade back into the background? It will be, oh Lord, just keep pushing me out there. Just keep helping me to stand. Just keep on keeping on with me so that I can help other people to keep on with you. Do you see what I mean? You've come here today because you want to consider Jesus. You want to know him and you want to live for him. That's why you came. And you, you, you know, maybe you were dragged along with somebody else. I guess there might be that sort of thing in there. You know, especially if your husband and wife here together, you might have been dragged in, you know, or a friend, or like Norma, you know, she might have been on and on and on at you that you thought, oh, for goodness sake, I'm just going. You know, they might be different reasons, but the ultimate reason behind that is that God wants you here. You know, this God, this Jesus that is talked about in this word, he is all-powerful. There is nothing that he cannot do. There is no part of your life that he will not touch. And if you think for one moment that he hasn't brought you here, you need to consider Jesus. Consider this Jesus because he has hold of you and he will not let you go. And he wants you to know him, to know him. And the only way that you will truly know him is to know his word. Consider Jesus. Look at him. Think about him. That's what the writer to the Hebrews begins with. Look at what he says. And Christ is the radiance of God's glory. He is the outward Propel, propelling of the glory of God. The word for glory in the original Hebrew was, is Shekinah. Shekinah, glory. Christ is the Shekinah of God. And the word means dwelling. He is the dwelling glory of God. When Christ was on earth, the glory of God dwelt on earth. When Christ has taken up residence in you, the glory of God is dwelling in you. The dwelling place of God is his glory. Think about the sun. We talked about this last time. Think about the sun and the radiance 
of the sun, the rays of the sun. Are the rays of the sun the sun? Or are they separate? The rays of the sun are just the outward propelling of what the sun is. And that's who Jesus is. He is the outward propelling of, of God. That's wonderful. And we know immediately when we think about that, that Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is Jesus? He is God. He is God most high. He is God. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is Jehovah Sabbath. He is Jehovah... Nisi, he is the God who is all and in all, and he is in you, and you are in him. And honestly, if that doesn't fill your eyes with tears and your heart with joy, I don't know what will. He is God, and he lives in you. He lives in you. Consider Jesus. Consider this Jesus. In the midst of all your difficulty and all your circumstances and all your pain, because this life is painful, consider this Jesus. The writer says that, um, that he, uh, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. You want to look at Jesus, you see God. He spoke and the world came into existence. He created. He is the creator God through whom all things were made. John chapter 1. I don't know if I put it on your, on your scripture notes. John chapter 1 verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word uh, became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. It says in, uh, John says in his, uh, his gospel, John chapter 1, he says, um, all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. In Christ is the life, not just life. In Christ is the life, the only life, the real life. In Christ is life and that life is the light of men. You are able to see things clearly because Christ is in you and you are in him. You are able to have perspective. You are able to look at your circumstances from the perspective of God. And you are able to say, I have enough in Christ. He is sufficient for me. He is sufficient for this day and he will be sufficient for tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, he is the heir of all things. He will inherit all things. He has inherited all things. Nothing exists without him because he was the agent of creation. God spoke and the things happened. Things came into existence. He spoke. He is the uh, incarnate word of God. You know, people say to me about this Bible, I've got quite a lot of Bibles and they all get a bit torn up. This one's just about to come to pieces. But, um, you know, people say to me, yeah, I know, but it's a lot of pages in there. It's a lot to study. You know, it's a lot to read. And uh, why, do you, why do you read it so much? Why do you study it? And I feel like saying, do you know what? Lift this book up to your ear and hear him tell you 
about himself. That's what God does in his word. You don't have to study it because it's a, a textbook or a university course or, a, or something that you were supposed to do in Sunday school and you never really did because you didn't really like it much. This is God speaking. Speaking. <laughs> Thank you. Hallelujah. It is God speaking. And every word is a creative word. What are you missing in your life? You're missing joy or peace? then hear him speak that into your life. Hear him speak peace into your soul, into your life. And he does it through this book. And don't let anyone ever tell you that this book is old and that you don't need to study it. And that it might have a few good points in it. But really, I mean, we live in 2020. I mean, honestly, do we really want to read this antiquated book? Have the answer, yes, because through the pages of this book, my Saviour, my God, my Lord speaks to me in words I can understand and in ways that change my life. Change my life. Don't you want your life changed? Who doesn't want their life changed? Do you want to go out the way you came in? No, you want to go out transformed. You want to go out transformed, and that's the way he'll do it. He is the heir of all things. You belong to him. Look at your neighbor who's sitting here. Are they a believer in the Lord Jesus? You don't really know their heart, but let's just say they are. So you look at your neighbor, and you say to your neighbor, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. And he will never, ever disown you. Because you are in his, his, you are his inheritance. You are his inheritance. Paul will write about it, his glory, the glorious inheritance of Christ in the saints. And it's a complicated sentence. And there's lots of different opinions about it. But at the very least, you belong to him. You are his inheritance. And when he looks at you, he sees someone that is going to be by his side for eternity. This Christ, this Jesus, consider this Jesus. Don't leave, and we used to have that, oh, you probably don't remember it. Well, maybe some of you do, because you're older than me, believe it or not. But um, you remember that advert, American Express, don't leave home without it? Do you remember? You probably don't. There used to be a, you know. And if you want to pretend you're young, shake your heads. No, I don't remember that. There used to be an advert on the TV, and it was about for American Express credit card. Don't leave home without it. Don't leave home without it. Well, don't leave home without the truth of this word, because it will wrap itself around you like a cloak, and it will hold you up when everything else is dragging you down. It will make sure that you know that you know that you know that you know that you belong to the God of the entire universe. Oh, my goodness. Don't you want that? You want that? Of course. He is the creator of all things. He is the owner of all things. He is the inheritor of all things. And he is the sustainer of all things. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 1. He upholds all things by the word of his power. By the word, the spoken word of his power, he upholds all things. So look at your neighbor and tell them, God, Jesus Christ, upholds you. Upholds you. 
I know that there are people in this room going through terrible, terrible times. I know that you, their life is not what they want it to be. Life is really what we want it to be. And so we need each other to tell us, Christ Jesus upholds you. He upholds you, and he will never stop upholding you because that's who he is. He is a God who upholds and sustains. Colossians chapter 1 says very much the same thing. Colossians, in him... Um, sorry, hold on, let me find it so I don't misquote. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You were created for Jesus. I mean, mull that over. You were created for Jesus. And Jude will tell us right at the beginning of his letter. I didn't put it in your notes, so write this one down. Jude, verse 1. Jude writing to, to those who are, um, sorry, to those who are the called. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of Jude. You were called by God for Jesus and you are being kept by God for Jesus. So you are being kept, preserved, watched over for Jesus. For the day when you see him face to face and you hear him say, come in, come in to the place that I was preparing for you. Come in and receive from me all the blessings of the promised land that you've only just reached the edge of here. Come in to my glory and live in my glory forever and ever and ever. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the sustainer and upholder of all things. He is the exact representation of God. And that, he, the image, it says he is the image of the invisible God in Colossians. And that word image means character. He is the character of the invisible God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know his character? Look at Jesus. That that phrase, consider Jesus, consider Jesus, keep on looking at Jesus because he will tell you what God is like, the invisible God that you can't see. Jesus came to reveal him. He came to reveal him. And you put yourself in his arms when you trusted his salvation, his redemption. And he wants you to stay there and reap the blessing of that place. Consider Jesus. What's he doing? What has he done for you? He has purified you from all your sins. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. When he had made purification for your sins, he has made purification for your sins. Your sins, believe it or not, terrible as they are, are totally and utterly purified. That's what today is about. It's about this 
this perfect sacrifice of Christ that moved your sins as far as the east is from the west, the perfect sacrifice of Christ that has caused God to say, I will not remember their sins another moment. Can you imagine the enormity of that? That what you do tomorrow is already forgotten by God. The sin that you do tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you stub your toe and you say something you shouldn't, or when you're mean and horrible to someone, or when you do something you know God doesn't want you to do, or you don't do something that God wants you to do, that sin is already forgiven and forgotten by God. I can't get my head around that. Can you get your head around that? It's too huge. It's too huge. And so he gives us the path to that. 1 John 1 verse 9, knowing that I am completely forgiven, he gives me the way to remember that. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to to purify our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Hallelujah. 1 John 1 verse 9, I didn't write that. Didn't put that down on your notes. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to purify our sins and cleanse, or cleanse us from our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. How can he do that? Why would he do that? Because Christ Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is and he ever will be the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for you and for me. And in him, in him, we are brought into the very presence of God. We looked at that last, last month, that we come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Why? Because we have a great high priest who represents us to our God, and we have Christ as our perfect sacrifice who has made purification for our sins. Consider this Jesus. Consider him. He is the all-sufficient all-wonderful, almighty God. And he came for you and for me. I mean, I want to cry. Don't you want to cry at that? This, this God, this God came for you and for me. Knowing what he knows about me, he came anyway. Knowing what I'll do after I believed, let alone what I did before. Knowing everything about me, all my weakness and all my failing and all my sin and all my rebellion, he came anyway and his sacrifice was enough to cover it all. These uh, Jews, going back to the Hebrews, he's writing to the Jews. This is a letter to, to Jews. It's a letter, I think, to believing Jews and also unbelieving Jews because the cry is the same, consider Jesus Consider Jesus. He is the only hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus. There is no lasting peace outside of Jesus. And he is writing into the nation, into a nation that in probably five, six, seven years is going to be obliterated by the Romans. They're going to ransack Jerusalem, destroy the temple, And all of the Jews are going to flee. Millions are going to die in that destruction. Hundreds and thousands of them are going to die in Jerusalem itself. And this is God's cry to those people. Consider Jesus. 
If you've never considered him before, consider him now. And if you're thinking about going back to this old religion, don't do it. Consider Jesus. And honestly, don't you feel, don't you feel in, in your spirit, don't you feel this is God's call to us? It's his call today to the whole world. Do you know what? Destruction is coming. It's already here in so many different ways. Destruction is coming. Consider Jesus. And to us as believers, you know what? There is nothing else but Jesus. He is our hope, our peace, our joy. He is everything and anything. And we must consider him because you and I, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Yes, you do. Well, you are the witness to who he is. And the size of Jesus in your life is the size of the Jesus you represent. How big is Jesus in your life, really? Is he bigger than your car and your house and your, and your hobbies? Is he bigger than your family? Is he bigger than your job? Is he bigger than your reputation? Is he bigger than your spirituality? Because the people that are around you, the people of this world, the people of your town, the people of your family, they need to see a humongous Jesus. They need to see him as he really is. As he really is. Hosea, um, in, in Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, um, talks about the, um, well, let's go there. Hosea, it's an Old Testament book. Hosea, it's right after Daniel and uh, after Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. So Hosea, after Daniel, Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. These Hebrews that are being written to, the, the ones who have put their trust in Jesus and who are tempted to go back to their old religion and their old traditions, are to remember those verses. That's what Jesus is going to say, or the writer to the Hebrews is going to say to them. You are shortly not going to have a temple. Therefore, you are not going to be able to make the sacrifices. Therefore, you have no religion. It is shortly going to be dead. You have no way to come to God when the temple is destroyed. That's what he's telling them. Don't go back. Don't go back. And that's what he's telling us. That's what he's telling the church in our day. Don't go back. Don't go backwards hiding the truth about Jesus. Don't go backwards thinking that you've got to cover him up or that you've got to make him less offensive or that somehow you've got to change the words of the gospel and the meaning of the gospel to make it okay for everybody because you can't go back because there's no hope outside of Jesus. There's no forgiveness outside of Jesus. There's no redemption outside of Jesus. I want just to imagine for two minutes what this would be like, what your life would be like, what this world would be like without Jesus. Just your own life. Just from the day you put your trust in him, what would your life be like without him? And if you can say it'd be much the same, then you have never received him because he is immense and he changes everything he touches 
and he dwells within you. In your fear, in your weakness, in your temptation. Because you have a wife or a husband who doesn't believe or you have daughters or sons who don't believe and you want to make it right for them and you want to love them and you want to keep saying the right thing so that you don't lose touch with them and they, you want your grandchildren to grow up or your children to grow up in the, in at least in, in, in some sort of you know, relationship with you so you curb what you say and you don't say what you want to say and you hold it all back and you don't go to church every Sunday because you don't want to offend them and you want to you know, do what they do and maybe you drink too much or you whatever you much or I don't know but you know, whatever you do think about this you are beyond that you are not that person anymore and you have to start living like the new creation that you are 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. We don't think, he's, Paul just before that, he says, we don't recognize anyone by the flesh anymore, but according to the flesh. So now when I look at Linda, I don't see Linda as she was before. I didn't know when she was before. So I see her as she is in Christ. When you look at me, you're supposed to see me as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And John and Anna and Sheila and Bridget and, and Daniel, if he's, a, if he's the Lord's, we look at him, at them as, they, as if they are in Christ because they are. When I see Norma, you know, I haven't seen her for a year, maybe more, two years, I don't know. I recognize the spirit in her. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Praise God. Because the spirit in me connects with the spirit in her and likewise with everyone here and though I might get on your nerves and though you may not like how I dress and maybe you don't like how I speak it doesn't matter because we see Christ in each other because Christ is enough he is sufficient he's sufficient to make the connection between me and you he's sufficient for that and so as we go on in that and as we understand that now we start to think I can't cover up this Jesus and I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to stand everywhere and have everyone know she's the weird one who believes in Jesus. She's that odd Christian. I mean, before I was a Christian, I thought Christians had hairy legs and wore open-toed sandals with socks all the time. You know, I did. I thought Christians were weird. Well, they are. Well, no, no, because I've made them not weird. <laughs> no, but then you become a Christian and you realize everything you thought was it's turned upside down. And that I was the weird one before. And peculiar, that's it. So that's what he's doing. He's writing to these people and he's telling them, consider Jesus. It's his message to them 2,000 years ago and it's his message to us today. And, and we can see so many reasons why we should do that. Um, I've got a quote from Andrew Murray because uh, I, like, I love Andrew Murray. Do you read his books? He's dead now, so I like reading dead authors because they can't change their minds. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's all written down there. They can't recant and fall away and all of that. Not that Andrew Murray would have done. He's just a fantastic man of God. And he wrote this in one of his books. I don't know which one. Oh, yes, I do. The Hudson Taylor. Have you got the J. Hudson Taylor uh, autobiography? Have you got that? Have you heard about Hudson Taylor? Yes. Hudson Taylor. You know how many Christians there are in China now? Millions. Millions. 
millions of Christians in China. Do you know why? Is it? Ah. So amazing. Praise the God. Yes. Uh, tell me your name again. Martin works with the Bible Society, and apparently by the end of 2021, they're expecting that there will be 100, over 100 million Christians in China. And do you know why? Because Hudson Taylor got on a boat. I mean, you can't credit it, can you? Look at yourself. <laughs> this is what he wrote about Hudson Taylor. He, uh, the author of Hebrews, unceasingly places their weakness and Christ's person side by side. He is sure that if they but know Christ, all will be well. A teenage boy whose mother was away on a visit found himself with time on his hands. He decided to read a book from the family library. His mother was a devout Christian, so the boy knew there would be a sermon at the beginning of the book and an application at the end, and there would also be some interesting stories in between. While reading the book, he came across the phrase, the finished work of Christ. It struck him with unusual power. Why does the author use this expression, he asked himself. Why not say the atoning or the propitiatory work of Christ? You see, he knew all the biblical terms, he just did not know the Saviour. Then the words, it is finished, flashed into his mind, and he realised afresh that the work of salvation was accomplished. If the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what is there left to do? He knew the answer and he fell to his knees to receive the Saviour and full forgiveness of sins. That is how J. Hudson Taylor, founded the China, who founded the China Inland Mission, was saved. You see, it's the understanding that it's finished. It's done. There's nothing else that can be done and nothing else that needs to be done. That is the understanding that we are being brought to through this book, this, this letter to the Hebrews. You can't offer enough or do enough or be enough to get to God. You cannot do enough or be enough or offer enough now that you're already a believer because the work is finished. It's done. Jesus Christ is Messiah. He is the God who saves. By the giving of his life and his, and his being raised from the dead, he paid the price for your sin and for my sin. And I know you know this. I know that you know this because you have put your trust in this Saviour. But I want you to, this day, as we go, and we're going to take a break in a minute, I want you to think about the fact that it is all complete. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And the very next verse says, And in him you were made complete. You are complete in Christ Jesus. There is nothing missing, nothing that you need to do, nothing that he hasn't yet done. There is nothing missing from you 
if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was sufficient to justify you, for God to acquit you from your sins, and it is sufficient to transform you into the person that you are intended to be. He will make you into the image of Christ Jesus. It's sufficient for your past and for your present and for your future. You are already complete in Christ. Let that stir around in your mind when we have a cup of tea and you start talking about other things. Hold that at the back of your mind, hopefully at the front of your mind. When you look in the mirror and you see a broken, imperfect person, tell yourself, yes, but Christ, he is enough and I am complete in him. Father, thank you that your word is so amazing. Thank you that the truth is just incredible. Thank you that you burn it onto our hearts, Lord God, and help us now to live in the truth of it. As we go now and have a break, short break, Lord, and as we come back to him more, would you please help us to understand the reality of all that this means, that in Christ we are complete, that he has He is sufficient for every aspect of our life and for our eternity. Help us to understand the truth of that, Lord, and to move and live in the truth of it. And we thank you, Lord, that you want to do that for us. And we praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.